Hey everybody and welcome to the 5 Bytes Podcast. I'm your host, Rory Monahan. Coming up on this week's episode, we'll go through the Windows updates for this month's Patch Tuesday that just passed. Also, a controversial change to Zoom's Terms of Services has customers vowing to stop using the product. And a critical Intel CPU vulnerability now has some potentially devastating known exploits. For this and more, keep listening to this episode, which of course, as always, is brought to you by my sponsors. And that includes Netrix Policy Pack, where you use Group Policy, Policy Pack Cloud, or MDM to remove local admin rights, manage the lockdown applications, Java, browsers, and mitigate ransomware, plus more. And also brought to you by Numescent, the inventors of the first and only cloud-native container management platform for Windows desktops. And also brought to you by ControlUp end-to-end digital experience management for the work-from-anywhere era. Control up. Happy users, happy IT. If you enjoy the show each week, you have these awesome sponsors to thank. And now for some news. It was a roller coaster week for Zoom customers as the alarm was raised by many to a change made to the Zoom terms of service, which included lines about Zoom's rights to compile and utilize service-generated data, which is any telemetry data, product usage data, diagnostic data, and similar content are data that Zoom collects in connection with users' use of their services or software. The updated terms also stated that all rights to service-generated data are retained solely by Zoom. This extends to Zoom's rights to modify, distribute, process, share, maintain, and store such data for any purpose to the extent and in the manner permitted under applicable law. StackDiary.com reported their terms pertained to data for feeding artificial intelligence and machine learning, with section 10.4 of the terms also stating Zoom has secured a perpetual, worldwide, non-exclusive, royalty-free, sub-licensable, and transferable license to redistribute, publish, access, use, store, transmit, review, disclose, preserve, extract, Modify, reproduce, share, use, use twice, display, copy, distribute, translate, transcribe, create derivative works, and process customer content. So they're really covering a very broad base in legalese speak, at least. And this ignited a whole lot of blowback on Zoom, with customers claiming they would stop using the product immediately. Zoom tried to quickly calm people's fears. Aparna Barwa, who's COO at Zoom, stated, quote, To clarify, Zoom customers decide whether to enable generative AI features and separately whether to share customer content with Zoom for product improvement purposes. Also, Zoom participants receive an in-meeting notice or a chat compose pop-up when these features are enabled through their UI. And they will definitely know their data may be used for product improvement purposes, end quote. And further to this, on Tuesday of this week, they updated the terms once more with an additional line stating, quote, For AI, we do not use audio, video, or chat content for training our models without customer consent, end quote. Now, legal experts were quickly there to slap this back down. Plus, those in the tech community also took exception 
and are continuing to raise the alarm despite these updated terms and attempts from Zoom to take the sting out of the tail here. With attorney Sean Hogel claiming that Zoom were trying to pull a fast one with these revised terms. So certainly a huge cause for concern, particularly since so many people rushed out and subscribed to Zoom at the beginning of the pandemic. Like there are a lot of different fields where Zoom has continued to be used and some that are very sensitive, such as like a therapy business. So those people who are continuing to use it may not be that tech savvy. And the reason they like Zoom is because Zoom has made it relatively easy to use the product. So they may not be digging into uh, different settings and options within there. Therefore, they may opt in to allowing their data to be used. That video data and audio data in particular could be very sensitive when it comes to mental health and even just regular health care for like Doctor 365 and online care. So this is a huge minefield and I certainly do not blame the people who are reacting in a way that they're saying, this is it, I'm not going to use Zoom anymore. Hopefully Zoom come to their senses and as we see with the SAG strike in Hollywood, AI and its implications is really quickly bubbling to the surface. Creators, developers, and everyone are starting to fight for their corner and in my opinion they really need to and this week it was patch tuesday once again for the august round of windows updates and this month microsoft patched 87 flaws including two actively exploited and 23 remote code execution vulnerabilities the total roundup included 18 elevation or privilege vulnerabilities, three security feature bypass vulnerabilities, as stated, 23 remote code execution vulnerabilities, 10 information disclosure vulnerabilities, eight denial of service vulnerabilities, and 12 spoofing vulnerabilities. The two actively exploited zero-day vulnerabilities that I just mentioned includes a Microsoft Office Defense in-depth update vulnerability that is being tracked as CVE-2023-36 884. They say the flaw allows threat actors to create specially crafted Microsoft Office documents that could bypass the mark of the web security feature, causing files to be opened without displaying a security warning and perform remote code execution. The vulnerability was actively exploited by the Romcom hacking group, who was previously known to deploy the industrial spy ransomware and attacks. The ransomware operation has since rebranded as Underground under which they continue to extort victims. So that's certainly a very important one to patch as it's already being actively exploited. The other vulnerability I wanna highlight is CVE-2023-3A180. And this is a .NET and Visual Studio denial of service vulnerability. For this one, unfortunately, according to bleepycomputer.com, Microsoft has not shared any details on how this flaw was used in attacks and has not disclosed who discovered the vulnerability. So that's actually somewhat rare, at least as long as I've been covering these types of vulnerabilities on the podcast. Microsoft's usually pretty forthwith with this kind of information. So maybe they have some reason for not sharing that at this time. But regardless, obviously, as usual, you know, patch, patch early, patch often, and test, test, test. And of course, as always, other vendors have also released patches, including Adobe, Google, VMware, Zoom, and more. And as usual, I'm sure there's going to be 
fallout caused by these patches, things are going to break. So keep listening to this podcast every week. I'm sure I'll be covering those uh, next week and the week after. That's usually how these things tend to play out. A researcher at Google has created exploits for CPU-based attacks against several different types of Intel CPUs. The vulnerability has been dubbed Downfall. If you listen to the podcast regularly, you may remember me covering CVE-2022-40982 last year, which is a flaw that is a transient execution side channel issue and impacts all processors based on Intel microarchitecture Skylake through IceLake. Leafycomputer.com reports the vulnerabilities can be leveraged for stealing passwords, encryption keys, and private data like emails, messages, or banking information from users that share the same computer. And the news here is that there are several different attack techniques and exploits validated by Google's researchers. It is reported that the downfall attack techniques take advantage of the gather instruction that leaks the content of the internal vector register file during speculative execution. Gather is part of memory optimizations in Intel's processors and is used to speed up accessing scattered data and memory. However, the Gather instruction appears to use a temporal buffer shared across sibling CPU threads and is transiently forwards data to later dependent instructions and the data belongs to a different process and Gather execution running on the same core, which is what opens up the opportunity for attackers to take this kind of data, precious data from users. Downfall attacks do require an attacker to be on the same physical processor core as the victim, which is actually pretty easy to achieve given that Windows tends to support multi-user sessions. Intel learned about the downfall vulnerability last August and collaborated with the researchers on findings and a microcode update is available to customers to mitigate the issue. Intel said that customers can review the risk assessment guidance from the company and decide on disabling the microcode mitigation through mechanisms available in Windows and Linux, as well as virtual machine managers. Such a decision may be driven by concerns about potential performance issues from the downfall mitigation or because the issue does not represent a threat in that environment. I mean, given its nature, I would say that there is a threat in most enterprise environments. So if you're still rocking some Intel processors, you may want to check what microarchitectures are in use. And if you haven't yet, you may want to implement those microcode updates as it seems like there's known techniques out there for extracting this type of data, leveraging this vulnerability. Five Eyes Cybersecurity Company published a list of the 12 most exploited vulnerabilities throughout 2022. About half of the list is made up of remote code execution vulnerabilities, including Log4 Shell, which was interesting to me because when I first covered that vulnerability, it was expected to blow up very quickly, but it didn't really. Everyone quickly ran to update their code, which was good, and maybe it helped mitigate some of the potential disaster. Uh, and it took a few weeks to get reports of larger scale attacks leveraging the vulnerability. I was of the impression that it didn't end up being a mass exploited vulnerability as expected, but it has made this list, so it must have still been pretty significant, albeit perhaps not as devastating as first speculated at the time. Perhaps not surprising, products like FortiOS, FortiProxy, F5's Big IP, Microsoft Exchange Server, and VMware Workspace ONE all made the list for vulnerabilities in 2022, being some of the most exploited. 
Microsoft's Visual Studio Code, Code Editor, and Development Environment contains a flaw that allows malicious extensions to retrieve authentication tokens stored in Windows, Linux, and macOS credential managers. The security problem was discovered by SciCode and is caused by a lack of isolation of authentication tokens in VS Code's Secret Storage, an API that allows extensions to store authentication tokens in the operating system. This is done using Keytar, VS Code's wrapper for communication with the Windows Credential Manager on Windows, Keychain on macOS, and Keyring on Linux. And this vulnerability means that any extension running in VS Code, even malicious ones, can gain access to the secret storage and abuse Keytar to retrieve any stored tokens. SciCode told BleepyComputer.com that they disclosed the problem to Microsoft two months ago, even demonstrating their proof-of-concept extension and its ability to steal stored extension tokens. Regardless, Microsoft engineers didn't see this as a, didn't see this as a security concern and decided to maintain the existing design of VS Code's secret storage management framework. So that does not sound too good, does it? I mean, being able to tap into authentication tokens could hand attackers a whole lot of power and access. So it would be best if this was addressed. Maybe they'll change their minds if this gets enough publicity and they'll actually address the problem. Google have changed the Google Chrome security update schedule from bi-weekly to weekly to address the growing patch gap problem that allows threat actors extra time to exploit published n-day and zero-day flaws. The new schedule will start with Google Chrome version 116, which was released this week. So this is actually pretty timely because just a couple of months ago, I did a session at the Cloud Paging User Group covering my solution for automatically grabbing the latest version of applications as vendors make them available and deploy those patches as application containers using Cloud Pager. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's timely because in my presentation, I was using Google Chrome as an example of an application with frequent updates. And at the time, Google, I think in 2021, had moved to an update cadence of a major update every four weeks instead of every six weeks as it previously was and minor updates every two to three weeks. But the reality is, since I was running my script every night, I could see that Google was actually staging new versions at least for download rather than, you know, forcing as an automatic update on the client side, but at least staging a new version of like the enterprise MSI uh, almost every night over the course of a couple of weeks. So I thought that was pretty interesting. And I think it's no surprise that they are moving to a more frequent update cadence again, because just look at what's happening. You know, last year, the average was seven days. So it took seven days typically for an exploit to happen of a publicly disclosed critical vulnerability. And we just saw with the Ivanti and Citrix vulnerabilities that I covered in previous episodes just over the last month that exploits occurred within just like two days of those vulnerabilities being disclosed. Unfortunately, the conditions are such that these more frequent updates just have to happen. So I think it's a good move by Google. Intel appeared to be set to join the likes of AMD and NVIDIA by collecting telemetry data via their GPU drivers. WindowsCentral.com reports the latest Intel Arc GPU beta driver is the first release that allows for telemetry collection. Intel's new service is on by default, but you can opt out of it. They have also provided a lot of detail for our customers about the type of data that they are collecting and why. 
Rebecca Spear from windowscentral.com took the angle that Intel has been refreshing in their transparency and by providing a straightforward opt-out option. But yeah, <laughs> I think most people would respond to this like, oh, just, just another example of them trying to profiteer off our data. Privacy is dead. Ars Technica and Mac Rumors are reporting that Apple has bought up all of TSMC's 3NM manufacturing capacity in the short term. And the information reports that TSMC's 3NM technology will be exclusive to Apple for roughly a year before there will be capacity to allow any other companies to use it. TSMC currently makes most of the high-performance CPUs, GPUs, and SOCs for most of the world's biggest chip companies, including NVIDIA, AMD, and Qualcomm. So it'll be interesting to see if this production commitment by this company that provides chips to these large manufacturers will result in supply shortages for others, giving Apple a competitive advantage and potentially rising the price for at least their competitors and possibly the competitors and Apple. I mean, when everyone else raises their prices because the demand is higher than supply, then Apple may feel vindicated in upping their price too. Ultimately, this does not sound like it's going to be good for customers. Pingcastle have released version 3.1 of the product. They've added to the reports LAPS last change dates for exported computers, a password distribution chart in the consolidation report, and made a whole lot of fixes and rule changes. And that's available for download now. So if you're using that for your AD auditing and reporting, you may want to get to version 3.1. More sad news in the tech world. As it was announced, Bram Mulliner, who is the creator of Vim Text Editor, has passed away. I think if you've worked in IT for more than a quick minute, you've likely used Vim at some point. So definitely a big loss to the industry and to open source. Rest in peace. WeWork, who's a company that owns a whole lot of office real estate and sell hot desks and co-working spaces and that sort of thing, are warning that there's a substantial doubt about their ability to stay in business over the next year because of their financial losses and their need for cash, among other factors. WeWork said it's facing high member turnover rates. It said it plans to negotiate more favorable lease terms control spending, and seek additional capital by issuing debt, stock, or selling assets. So this is an interesting one because you would think that maybe WeWork, co-working spaces, that type of thing may have become popularized with people who have 100% remote work, but it also seems like 100% remote work has not really been the reality as pandemic restrictions have eased. It seems like most companies are doing a hybrid scenario. So I'm sure people don't want to work from the office three days a week and then work from like a WeWork space two days a week. It only really makes sense for those who maybe work 100% from home who may want to work somewhere for two or three days a week for a change of scenery and just to get out of the house. So, I mean, there could be different factors at play for that member turnover. Obviously, a lot in the tech industry would probably have been using WeWork more than most. There has obviously been a lot of layoffs in the tech industry this year. As I stated, a lot of companies have moved to hybrid. And as I've covered on previous episodes of the podcast, there's, there's some organizations who are eliminating remote work entirely, which would also hurt WeWork. 
it'll be interesting to see if this is the only company in that space that may potentially go out of business soon. To wrap up the news for this week, saw an interesting story by Wired. At the Black Hat Security Conference that was taking place this week in Las Vegas, there was a presentation where they went through an investigation into the DeckMate product, which is the most widely used automated shuffling machine for cards used in casinos today. They ultimately found that if someone can plug a small device into a USB port on most modern versions of DeckMate, known as DeckMate 2, which they say often sits under a table next to the player's knees with USB ports exposed, that hacking device could alter the shuffler's code to fully hijack the machine and invisibly tamper with the shuffling. They found that the DeckMate 2 also has an internal camera designed to ensure that every card is present in the deck and that they could gain access to the camera to learn the entire order of the deck in real time, sending the results from their small hacking device via Bluetooth to a nearby phone, potentially held by a partner who then could send coded signals to cheating players. For now, the IO Active researchers say they haven't yet had time to engineer a technique that would cause the deck mate to put the deck in the exact order of their choosing, although they're certain that that would also be possible. Regardless, they argue merely knowing the full card order rather than changing it offers an even more practical cheating strategy, one that's far harder to detect. The gaming company has thanked the researchers for sharing their findings, noting that they were aware of some of the issues and were already planning to fix them, while others were unknown to the company and would be fixed as part of its future product roadmap. So I thought that was really cool. And now, a weekly webinar. Next Wednesday, which will be the 16th of August at 6 p.m. BST, which is 7 p.m. with Central European Summertime, which I think will be 1 p.m. Eastern Daylight Savings Time for those in the States. I'll be doing a webinar with my buddy Lee Jeffries, where I'll be talking about how Automate can be used in app packaging workflows and some of my experiences with the product. So if you're not familiar with Automate, it's really, really cool stuff. It's robotic process automation. And this will show you just one use case for end user computing and IT purposes of using this type of automation. And if you're not familiar with robotic process automation, I think it will give you an idea of it and its power. And now this episode, scripts, tricks, and tips. So I'll keep it short this week. I saw Evotech had a blog post on reporting Active Directory accounts that are synchronized with Azure AD. So another useful way of reporting information and perhaps ensuring compliance and functionality of your Active Directory and Azure AD. I also recently published a blog post on how application containers enhance enterprise security. So just for those who listen to this podcast, you probably have an understanding and an interest in enterprise security. So one way to deal with very common attack vectors would be to remove visibility to a lot of the popular enterprise applications so that if users do gain access to your network and can get visibility of machines, that they may not necessarily be able to have visibility and leverage applications if they're delivered and running within a container space. So you can check out that blog post if you'd like to learn more. And as always, thank you so much for listening.